1 to 8. And this week we're going to look at, we're going to recap 1 through 8 briefly and then finish up through, chapter, through verse 15 together. That's our goal for this morning. So I need a reader because Grace Wynn, I think, was going to, and then she, at last minute, couldn't make it. So start fighting it out. Kelly, Renee, come on, Kelly, you do it. Kelly's got it. I don't know. You can look through these. And, I don't know. You pick up. She doesn't even have a Bible. Come on. She offers to read. You have it memorized. That's fine. That's how we roll. We throw stuff together. Here, there's extra reading glasses. Oh, yeah. Good, good call. All right, Kelly, you find it, and I'll pray. How's that? All right, let me pray for us. Father, I ask that you would please send your spirit in this room to speak to and minister to each one of us exactly where we're at and what we need to hear today. Lord, I know I have friends in this room that are deeply grieving this morning. I know others that are, that are excited and, and have new things happening in their lives that are bringing them lots of joy. And I'm confident that you can meet both individuals, both groups of people this morning and everybody in between in a way that will uh, help edify them and build them up and will also bring you praise and honor. And so do that, I ask. Even as Kelly reads this morning, and we look into your word, we need your help so we can understand what we're reading, um, so that we'll believe it, so that we'll love it, and then we'll apply it to our lives the way you want us to. And so come, Spirit. Be very, very active, I pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Nope, you can just do the first 15 verses. Reading from Genesis chapter 18. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. This is the word of the Lord.
Well, last week we dove into verses 1 through 8, and we saw what it looked like from Abraham to entertain strangers. And really, we, what we really talked about last week from Abraham was the whole idea of hospitality and what hospitality is. And the hospitality is not having nice place settings or essential oils burning in the house when someone comes. Hospitality is making someone from the outside feel like they're on the inside. It's making outsiders feel like insiders, making those who don't belong feel like they belong, making them feel loved and cared for and embraced. And last week we saw Abraham doing this wholeheartedly and extravagantly as he prepared this meal for these three individuals. And I just want to throw out one little application that we didn't get to last week that I thought we should talk about, and that is we are in need of some more people that can be greeters at the doors on Sundays. Um, it's just a practical way of, as we have more and more people coming on Sunday that uh, are new to our church, to have people at the door, uh, whether it's in here or outside. We already have a couple families willing to do that, but if you're willing to come at 840 and be a part of that team, you can let Kaylin know he's setting that up. And we'd love to have more people here on the rotation just to be greeters on Sunday, basically to do the same thing Abraham did, had her eyes up, looking out. What happened? What would I say? You have to be here at 640 <laughs> so we can warm up our greeting skills. Sorry, 940. Um, yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. I just think we could have more families in the rotation doing that. Um, it would be a really great way of just helping people who come for the first time and for everyone else to feel like they're welcomed on a Sunday when we gather together. But this morning, we're going to turn the corner, and we're going to focus on verses 9 through 15, where we actually get invited to eavesdrop in on the dinner conversation, which is kind of funny, because last week it was all action, and this week we just get to hear the conversation. We get to eavesdrop in on what's going on. Everything is slowed down, right? Last week, Abraham's running around, everything is running and quick and running and quick. And then at the end of verse 8, everything slows down. And now we get to enter into and listen in on this conversation that God has with Abraham and Sarah. And in this, I think he's going to reveal something about himself that he wants them to know. And I think it's going to reveal the real reason why he showed up, why God showed up in the first place. So, verse 9, it begins with three guests asking Abraham the whereabouts of his wife. And not only do these visitors know he has a wife, but they know her name. Look at verse 9 with me. They said to him, so these three uh, visitors, two angels and God together, ask, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. And so there's a sense immediately where these strangers know more things about him than they should know. And then they go on. The Lord speaks in verse 10. He alone says, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. So if Abraham didn't know that something was up with these visitors, that they weren't a little beyond people, humans, I think he does now. They know he has a wife. He didn't tell them. They know her name. They know that she doesn't have a son, and they're saying, guess what? I'm, the one says, I'll be back in a year to see your son. So he's got to be tipped off at this point. Okay, something's going on here that's a little out of the ordinary. I don't know who these three dudes are, but I think at this point, he's got to be connecting some of the dots, figuring out that they know too much to just be mere human guests. And then, at the last part of verse 10, we find out that we are not the only ones listening in on the conversation, <laughs> Right? Sarah's joining in the eavesdropping as she's listening through the tent wall. But before we hear her response, it's kind of interesting. The, the dialogue gets interrupted by Moses, our narrator. And he inserts this little sentence in here to remind us of Abraham and Sarah's 
current situation. So we hear his voice, verse 11, conversation interrupted, narrator speaks. Now Abraham, verse 11, and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So before we hear Sarah's response to God's prediction about a baby, Moses chimes in, reminds us that not only has Sarah never been able to get pregnant, but now she's too old, she's postmenopausal, so now she can't have children. I think that the point Moses wants to make sure that we all get is that there is no way in a million years that Sarah can have a baby. I mean, if she couldn't have one before, then why could she have one now that she's postmenopausal? I mean, she had 85 years if she could have gotten pregnant at 15. She's had 85 years to get pregnant. <laughs> there ain't no way it's going to happen now. And that's really the point Moses wants to drive home in our heads so that when we hear Sarah's response, we're not too quick to throw her under the bus. So how does Sarah respond? Well, we know, verse 12, what does she do? Says that she laughs, right? Verse 12, let me see if I can find it. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have this pleasure? Now, up to this point, so she responds, I'm not sure if she has heard enough to know who these guests are, but I think she starts to figure it out in verse 13. Because after she laughs to herself, God speaks to Abraham in verse 13 and says, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? She didn't say this out loud. Right? This was an inner laugh, an inner conversation in her brain. And somehow, guest number three read her mail. And I think she's freaking out at this point. I think she's going, how did he know that? And I think she's now tipped off. Something's going on here that's a little supernatural. These aren't just normal, everyday guests. How did he figure this out? Now, before we move on into that part of the conversation, I think it's interesting, this is a side note, primarily for us men, that God speaks to, uh, to Abraham and not directly to Sarah. Do you find that odd at all? Why doesn't he, like, she's right there on the other side of the tent. Hey, Sarah, why'd you laugh? But he doesn't. He speaks to Abraham. And I think, if it hasn't been taking us so long to get through the book of Genesis, we would more easily remember what happened in chapter 3 of Genesis. Right? Adam and Eve sin. And who does God go after? Adam. He goes, where's the man? Very specifically, he says that. And so I think this is an echo back to that. I think it's a reminder to us as men, as husbands, of our responsibility to nurture and care for our wives, to help our wives believe the promises of God. And so I think God is going after Abraham saying, hey, Abraham, how come your wife laughed? Almost like, hey, Abraham, how are you doing reminding your wife of the promises that I've made to her? Because if you kept up with that, maybe she wouldn't have laughed so much. Now, I say all that, reminding all of us that we men were given wives as helpers because we need help. <laughs> and there's oftentimes where I need Elsabeth to remind me of the promises of God. So it's both ways, no question. But ultimately, I think this is here to remind us as men. And so men, I just want to ask you a little application question for you this week as it rolls on, is how are you doing at reminding your wife of the promises of God? How are you doing at building her faith in all the ways that God has made promises to her as a child of God. It's a little application on the side. Back to the story. 
Sarah doesn't wait, funny, for Abraham to respond to God's question about why she said what she said, right? Instead, Sarah is quick, it seems, to respond. And what does she say? I don't, it's funny, I wonder if she said it in her head. I didn't laugh. <laughs> to see if he'd read her mail again. But it sounds like she responds to him, right? I, I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh. And then what does God do? Yeah, yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah, you did laugh. Yeah, I think you did. Now, I don't want to throw her under the bus too quickly because I understand that Sarah didn't have the Ten Commandments at this point, so she doesn't have that. She will not lie. So be careful how we think about her. But I think she knows something is wrong about saying she didn't do something that she did. Saying she didn't say something that she actually did say. And so she's afraid, it says. She responds that way and says, no, I didn't, because she's fearful because she recognizes this guest knows too much. And so in fear, she responds. I wonder how many of us have had conversations like this with our kids over time, right? Our kid does something, we're like, hey, why'd you do that? I didn't do nothing, right? Or we hear our kids say something, and we're like, what did you say? Oh, nothing. No, I heard you say this. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. (laughs) Or maybe as spouses, we've had the same conversation. Yeah, you said you were going to do that. No, I didn't say I was going to do that. Yeah, you did say you were going to do that. (laughs) I think we've had that conversation 10 times this week. You said that you were going to, no, I didn't. No, you really did say that. You really did. And I think that's what's going on here. There's this back and forth. But God doesn't let it go. But I think what stands out in this story is how abruptly the conversation ends. It ends with God just simply saying, no, but you did laugh. And that's it. And I think that's supposed to catch our attention. Because you kind of want to know what's going to happen next. But I think it's how God doesn't respond after that. That's meant to catch our attention. I think, as the reader, what we would expect to read next is God saying, no, but you did laugh, and since you did laugh, Sarah, and lie about it, you will no longer have a child. You will remain barren, and I will establish my covenant with Ishmael. I mean, that's kind of what you would expect to read next, wouldn't you? She's laughed, basically saying, God, I don't believe you can do that. And then she lies about it. She tries to cover it up. And I would think that God would then remove the promise, but he doesn't. And I think this is one of the most important things in this story. Man's sin does not reverse or change God's promises. God's promises are secure in God. had one of those moments this morning as I was thinking about this point and I realized there's no way to make this point sufficiently there's nothing you can do to reverse God's promises to you there is no sin you can commit that will make God change his mind about his love and forgiveness for you When God says in Colossians 2 that all of your sins are forgiven, there's nothing you can do to change his mind. When God says in Hebrews 13, I will never leave you nor forsake you, there's nothing you can do to change his mind. God's promises are not based on your behavior. God's promises are anchored in God's perfection and his goodness and his kindness, so you can't reverse them. And so here's Sarah 
basically laughing at God over the promise, and instead of God saying, that's it, you're done, he keeps the promise. Nothing's changed, even though Sarah didn't respond the way that God would probably have wanted her to. I think I struggle with this because this is not how people act, right? I mean, if I say I'm going to do something, and then Josh Markling overhears it, and he's talking to Kaylin, going, Matt said he was going to do that, and he can't do that, and there's this mockery and laughter, and I'm like, hey, uh, I heard you guys talking about me, and you're like, no, no, we weren't. We didn't say anything. No, I heard you laughing. Really, I did. No, we didn't. I mean, how am I going to treat them now? I'm probably not going to, like, keep promises with them, am I? And yet think about how different God is from us in his perfection and in our sin. And yet here we are sinning, and what does God say? My promise is secure. You can't reverse my promise. You can't change my promises based on what you do. He is too patient. He is too gracious. His grace flows to us, blessing us when we deserve punishment. And I think one of the other reasons God sees her this way is because he knows that her believing is in process. Just like your believing and my believing is in process. And I say it's in process because that's what Hebrews 11, 11 tells us about this very story. The com- is a commentary on the story here in Genesis 18 where it says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Here's Sarah, old, New Testament commentary on what she was doing in these moments, processing things over the course of the next year. Somehow, she turned a corner and considered him faithful who had promised. That was her eventual response. But God saw that it was a process for her. So eventually that was true. I think that's the only way you can reconcile Hebrews 11 to what we just saw, right? When she laughs, she's laughing. That doesn't look like that, does it? No, but that's where she ended up. It was a process for her. So that at one point she would consider him faithful who had promised. She believed his promise. And church, we are the same way. Our faith, your faith and my faith are in a growing process. The day that you were born again, you realized, I am messed up, and I am a sinner, and I am separated from God. And you realize, the only hope I have is in the death and the resurrection of Christ to reconcile me to God and forgive me for my sins. And in that moment, you believed. You had faith. And ever since then, your faith has been on a journey with ups and downs along the way, but always in an upward direction, always in a growing direction. And that's why we try to encourage each other, right, with with truth about Jesus. Because we know that when we sin, it's because we're not believing something about God. When you're anxious, it's because there's something about God you're not believing. When we get angry, it's because there's something about God we're not embracing. When we experience greed or we're selfish or proud, or we want to be in control of something so much that we get so intense that we hurt people around us, it's because there's something about God we don't believe. And so we need to help each other, just make those connections so that we continue on this process together of what it means to know everything there is about who Jesus is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do, and connect it to real life. 
as we continue on this journey, which I think is very similar to Sarah's, as she moves along from laughter to believing in a way that she says, no, God's faithful. God will keep his promise. So the story ends abruptly. But I think this entire interaction between God and Abraham and Sarah all happens because God really wants to make one point. I think this is all funneling down, this whole story, from the moment the three show up all the way down to the story. I think the whole story really funnels down because God has something he wants Sarah and Abraham to write in their God Bible doctrine notebook that I'm sure they're keeping as they learn more about God. And here it is. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Verse 14. I think that's it. I think this is where God was wanted the conversation to go. He's like, Sarah, Abraham, there's something about me that I want you to know, so I'm going to arrange your lives in such a way so we can have a conversation. I'm going to show up so that I can make sure that you know this about me, and I'm going to give it to you in the form of a question. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? The word hard there in the Hebrew is the word for wonderful or marvelous. I love that. I just teased this out in my mind this week. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? Anything too marvelous for the Lord? Anything too marvelously wonderful for the Lord? Is there anything that God considers to do and then goes, you know, that's just too wonderful? Does God ever think, I'll do that, and then, no, that's just too marvelous. I I wouldn't do that. There's not. There's nothing that is too marvelous for God. Job tells us in chapter 9, who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number? Marvelous things beyond number. In other words, God doesn't go, should I do that? Well, it's not too marvelous, so I can do it, but I've already used up all my marvelous things for the day. I'm only allowed to do 100, so forget those. Job reminds us there's no limit to the number of marvelous and wonderful things that God can do. And in this case, for Sarah and for us, the marvelously wonderful thing God is going to do is giving a woman who could never have a baby, who is now physically unable to have a baby, a son. See, God's on a mission to supernaturally give a woman a son outside of her natural abilities. It is to supernaturally do a miracle to have a woman bear a son outside of human explanation. Is any of this sounding familiar? God giving a woman a son in such a marvelous, wonderful way so that, she could, so that God could fulfill a promise. The story of a woman conceiving a son to fulfill a promise in a marvelous way. Sound like this story might be pointing to a future story? where a woman would have a baby in a marvelous way in order to fulfill a promise so that we could belong to the family of Abraham. We should all be hearing Christmas songs in our heads right now, in case you're not. (laughs) We should be. We should be hearing Joy to the World and, and other songs in our head that remind us of what the marvelous thing that this story here is actually pointing to. And I love it that Isaiah 9-6 uses this exact same word. You guys know Isaiah 9-6. For unto us a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, 
It's the same word as the word here in Genesis. His name will be called Wonderful. It's not just that he does wonderful things. He is wonderful. And it's not just that Jesus can do wonderful things and does wonderful things. The point is, his name is wonderful. His name is marvelous. His name is extraordinary. That's who he is. And one of the marvelously wonderful things he does without limit is keeping his promises even when we sin. That's it. And that's what 2 Corinthians 1.20 tells us. 2 Corinthians 1.20 tells us very clearly, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. So leave that up, Callan. Pause for a moment. It should bother us that God does not give consequences to Sarah when she lies and laughs at him. It should bother us. If, if you had to go to court for some reason, and you knew you were innocent, and someone else was guilty, and the judge was like, ah, just let the guy go, it's okay. You'd be like, what? I mean, that would tick you off, wouldn't it? And the same is true of God. If God just letting everybody off the hook left and right for everything they do, that should bother us. We need an answer. How can God be holy and just and righteous and just let Sarah get away with this and keep his promise? That's how. That's how. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. You know who the him is? Jesus. Didn't include the passage before it, the verse before it. Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to, the to God for his glory. Amen to God for his glory. Why do we utter amen to God for his glory? Because all the promises that God has made to us, that we have sinned our ways through, are kept because of what Jesus has done. And so what do we say? Amen to God for his glory. Amen to God for his glory. Amen to God for his glory. The glory of him forgiving us our sins and keeping his promises all the way through. That's just good news. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. That your every, every promise that we read in God's word, we can bank on because of Jesus. We can wholeheartedly embrace them and believe them because of Christ and not because of us or what we have done. Good news, good news, good news. Now we have to ask ourselves, I think for a moment, why does God do all of this this way? I mean, this whole story has just been drug out for 25 years. Longer than that for Sarah as she's waited to have a child. Why? Why do it this way? Not, not, why not in chapter 12? Why doesn't God just say, hey, you're going to have a baby? Chapter 13, baby's born. All right, chapter 14, baby's born. <laughs> Two years later, baby is born. Why do it this way? Why wait so long? Why does God do things this way? Why wait till she is post-menopausal? Why do that? And I think the answer is clear. I think God is doing everything in Abraham and Sarah's life so that they will know and experience him the way that he wants them to know and experience him so that he gets the amen. <laughs> That's it. And the same is true for us. I know there's times where it's hard to say the amen, but God is doing everything in your life, and he's doing it differently than your friend's life and then your neighbor's life because he wants you to know him the way he wants you to know him. He wants you to experience him the way he wants you to experience him so that at the end of the day, he gets the amen. 
So this is what Romans 15 tells us. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show the God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Aren't you glad that we live on this side of the cross? We wouldn't have this. And we'd be puzzled. Like, how is God going to do all of this? This is how he does it. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, in order to confirm the promise that he made to Sarah. Why? In order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. This story exists in Genesis 18 so that you and I will glorify God for his mercy. So that we'll praise him for his mercy. So that we'll exalt in him for his mercy. So we'll see his mercy then, connected to the mercy now, and go, glory to God. Thank you for your mercy. See, God wants us to behold him. God wants us to experience his wonderful, marvelous presence and work in our lives. He wants us to not be satisfied with Netflix and vacations and shopping and sports and houses and cars and clothing. He wants us to say those things will never satisfy, and he wants us to run and turn to him and all of his marvelous deeds and just him being marvelous to find all of our soul satisfaction in who he is. He wants us to lift up our heads like Abraham in verse 1, look out and see him, and then enjoy fellowship with him. All for him and for his glory. That is the plan. So I want to ask you, what is God doing right now in your life that is absolutely wonderful? What's he doing? I know for some of us, you're in a season where it's harder to f- see that. It's harder to figure that out. But what is he doing? What, how has he provided? What has he shown you? How is he working? What is God doing that's amazing, that's marvelous? What is it that God's showing you about himself right now that makes you go, wow, God really is marvelous? Just in his character, just in who he is. I want us to entertain two, a, a question this morning in a moment. And Callan, you can put it on the screen. It's simply this. God is revealing how wonderfully marvelous he is by, and I want you to fill in the blank, but I filled one out for you. (laughs) Because I think this one is directly from what we just saw. God is revealing how wonderfully marvelous he is by not reversing his promises when I sin. And then how would you fill in the second one? What is God doing right now in your life? What is he doing that is marvelous? What is he doing that's so wonderful? How is he revealing himself to you in a marvelously wonderful way? What we're going to do is we are going to take five, six minutes, and the band is going to play. And while they're playing, I want you to be thinking how you answer this question. And I'm going to ask you also during that time to go to the Lord's Supper tables. There's two in the front and one in the back. The one in the back is gluten-free. And I want you to go ahead and take the bread and the juice and bring it back to your seat. Hold it, because we're going to take together. And, and continue to think as we're doing that. So we're not going to sing this, this morning while we get the cup and the wine. Instead, I want you to just be thinking, talking to, talking to your spouse and other people about, what is God doing? That's marvelous. And then we'll come back to our seats, and then we're going to sing a little, and then we're going to take together of the wine and of the bread. Does that make sense? 
So, so let's do this. Let's, you guys can, you can stay seated for a minute. I want you to be thinking, what is God doing that's marvelous and wonderful? And then let's go ahead and uh, head to the tables and go ahead and get the wine and the bread in a, in a minute. <laughs>